Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, 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 welcome in to another edition of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, we've got an exciting one today. Did something happen over the weekend, or...? I think we would probably spend the next hour or so just talking about Chauncey Logan, but whatever. I thought Sam Clark, but yeah, Chauncey Logan can get get in there a little bit too. Kid balled out. All right, I'm, I'm mad you. I imagine you were right about that, but just I think before we dive into anything, we have to say that Three Notched is the best brewery in Harrisonburg, and that's really the storyline from this last weekend. It's a it's a great storyline, and if you're there for Family Weekend, swing by. Uh, it's Oktoberfest. Their Oktoberfest beers are here every Monday, Minimum Mondays, if you're closer to the area. And every Wednesday, you've got game night there, $5 flagship pint. $3 Minimum Pints on the Mondays is just remarkable. But yeah, swing by, <laughs> family weekend. Weather's not supposed to be great. Um, so if you're going to the game, stay as long as you can, right? Everybody wants that. I won't be there. People know that. But um, I, I hope people have a good time. And, um, yeah, visit, visit three nights while you're in town. Yeah, it'll be a great time. And over the weekend, gearing up for family weekend, Texas state come into town, but so is something called hurricane Ian. I pronounced it correctly this time. Mm-hmm. Also coming into town, going to kind of mess up some family weekend plans this week for Jamie fans and family alike. And also bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Uh, Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, just said that twice, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information from live in-game betting props and futures head to bet online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet use our promo code believe it's scrolling along the bottom if you're watching and on twitter that's b-l-e-a-v-50 believe 50 to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts and now we have to start this podcast like bet online that's where the game starts this podcast starts with one of the greatest comebacks I think either one of us have ever witnessed in the history of JMU sports, maybe outside of Weber State. Yeah, especially recent history, right? They had a similar comeback. I guess yeah. the 2008 game against App State was, what was it, 21 nothing and a half or something like that? So a pretty cool comeback there. But 28-3 on the road, playing an, an App State team that sort of had more advantages, right? They've been at the FBS longer. You imagine they're, they're more prepared in terms of um, – scholarships resources whatever i mean they're a perennial sunbelt champion contender they are the cream of the right. cr- cream of the crop when it comes to the sunbelt yeah so to go down 28-3 i know at that point i was kind of hoping jamie would salvage a competitive showing and was honestly resigned to the the mental belief that they were going <laughs> to lose 60 to 10 and it was like all right but you know i had multiple group chats going and they're all very upset but there was also like you know it's the hardest team out. Their schedule gets easier. It's not the end of the world. Rebound from this. And then they started to like make a little push. Well, I guess we'll get into all the details 
at some point we can do it now if we want. I mean, but... I, that is, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that'd be the perfect segue to break down to kind of give us an overview of what happened in the game. Okay, fair enough. Even though well, we all watched well, it multiple I think times. I'll bring the tale of two halves stuff up a little bit here too, as I do this. Yeah, let's um, let's start with this. Let's start okay. with the tale of two halves. I, like I don't how, think that's I don't think that's totally fair. I don't I I agree with you on this take. I'm excited for you to break down this take and then I'll share mine. Because I saw a lot of like, oh, it was a tale of two halves. Like they got their butts whooped in the first half, and then in the second half, they were awesome. Kind of, kind of. But they led three to nothing after the first quarter. Like I don't think anybody watched the first quarter of that game and was like, hopefully this is a tale of two halves game. Right? You know what I mean? Like it, it was a game that they were leading after a quarter. They looked very much like they would be in a competitive game and that they were holding their own. They had some aggressive fourth down calls, which were awesome. Few questions on the defense with giving up some pass plays, but you know, I think it was generally a pretty good first quarter. Uh, the second quarter was, was horrible, but not all of it. It was really like the first 10 minutes of it when they gave up. Let's let me make sure I have it correct. So from 1345 in the second quarter, uh, to six ten, so not even not even ten minutes, more like a like eight minutes. Um, they gave up twenty eight points, so they had an eight minute stretch that was just horrendous. But then they closed the half really well, which was very important to them actually having a chance to come back and win the game. So they uh, had a fourth down conversion on a touchdown drive to cut it twenty eight to ten, and then they had a strip sack very very deep in App State territory yep. toward the end of the half that was like. I was thinking it'd be 28, 17 and a half. They're going to punch it in and score a touchdown drive stalls, go for a 27 yard field goal. 27 yard field goal is missed. And I was like, that's just very deflating, but whatever they made it more competitive. But I, I think it's worth noting that the first half was not like a complete loss. It was two like self-inflicted fumbles deep in your own territory that led to touchdowns. Yeah. Um, and there were some secondary lapses, but I don't think it was like a full, Hey, the first half was horrible. I mean, yeah, the first half was horrible. And the second half was great. I think they're kind of positive and negatives in both. And it's a, maybe a little lazy to say that just because like they led after a full quarter of action. Yeah. And also kind of like to me, when you say tale of two halves, it's almost like you were getting your butt kicked in the first half and then you flip the script in the second. And it really was more so self-inflicted wounds because there was a point in the third quarter when they were kind of staging that comeback. And I just sat back and I was like, what if they had made that field goal mm-hmm. and only fumbled it once or they didn't let App State capitalize with a touchdown on one of those other fumbles? Like you start playing the what if game, but even so, like you're sitting there in the third quarter and you're like, JMU's not being outmanned. JMU's not being out pushed around at the line of scrimmage. They're playing their game. They just had a fumble here, a fumble there, a missed field goal here. And like it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that they were just getting destroyed in the second quarter. The first quarter, we all finished that first quarter like, wow, we have a chance. Which I know we all were kind of high on. When I say we, me, you, JMU fans as a whole, we're high and thought there was a potential for us to go in there and hang tight with App State. But maybe, maybe this is me projecting a little bit. I think we all had in our back of our mind that App State's the better team. They should win this game. Like it'll be good if we can keep it competitive. But then after that first quarter, hope started to creep in and then the fumbles happen and everything. And then all of a sudden the third quarter and the fourth quarter, it's what the first quarter was, except the offense is able to finish some of these drives. And yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it was a tale of two halves. I think it was JMU fixing their mistakes 
and capitalizing when they needed to capitalize. Because what's something that Kurt Signetti's teams have done repeatedly in this era in big games are self-inflicted wounds that cost you the game. It's the two-point conversion on the goal line in the national championship. It's last year in North Dakota State, the goal line interception again. Um, it's the muffed punt against West, West Virginia. It's all these self-inflicted wounds, and you were sitting there thinking, this is it's Sam Houston State, the Sam epic Houston. meltdown, <laughs> the epic meltdown of just complete mistakes, and you're kind of starting to think, this is a trend in big games with Signetti coaching him. It's not that he's necessarily getting out coached. It's that his teams just seem to be not prepared. They're not up to the moment. I think this game bucked that trend entirely. Yeah. I mean, the way they rallied was, was so impressive, but I think maybe my biggest gripe with like the tale of two halves thing is that sort of implies that it was like 30 minutes app state, 30 minutes, JMU. Yeah. And it felt like for like 50 minutes of game time, JMU was either equal to or better than app state, which I think is really exciting for the future. And kind yeah. of an important distinction is not like, hey, they played horribly for 30 minutes and then got them for 30 minutes. It's like they were pretty good, except for like this horrible, like four possession stretch. But other than that, they had a really impressive game. The second half was awesome, obviously. They got some stuff going offensively. And what they outscored them 22 to zero. So three touchdowns, didn't give them any touchdowns up, had the, the one two point conversion. A gritty comeback win, obviously a great win. There's a lot of football left, but I think this is one that, especially as the fan base, right? I feel like there are way too many fan takes from like all fan bases, not just JMU. They're like, got to win the next game, got to lock in. You can't overlook Texas State. Well, I can, right? Like from my, from my bedroom or me watching a game somewhere, I can absolutely <laughs> overreact to a game and not look ahead to Texas State because it doesn't really matter what I'm thinking because it doesn't impact. The team. So, like from a fan perspective, you can live on the App State game for as long as you want. Like this is going to carry me for a while. <laughs> I think it carries me too, just being in North Carolina and like Boone is two hours north, and just there's some <laughs> like it just feels a little bit better. Um, also, the fact that App State's like so hurt about this game, which I mean, rightfully oh, yeah. so, you blew a lead. I was listening into a snippet from the Black and Gold podcast. podcast. Um, I forgot who shared it. It was, I think, Evangelista or, or some yeah. some Jamie fan shared it. But it was just kind of hilarious how wrong they were about the game. And this makes me feel like I'm I'm all high and mighty. My opinion's the right one when it comes to this game. By guard, gosh darn it! But they were like, JMU didn't win that game. App State lost it. We were dominating that game, and we just gave JMU the opportunity to win. And I think that's the just complete wrong lookout to this game like JMU dominated as much as they could outside of their self-inflicted wounds they held a 33 minute uh, time of possession advantage over App State they looked like the better team their RPOs were just slicing and dicing the App State defense all game JMU looked like the bigger faster stronger team especially in the second half and yeah this is going to take me a long this is this is my Super Bowl as a Seahawks fan, I could care less what happens the rest of the season with the Seahawks. You know, like they beat Russell Wilson in week one. This that I don't care what happens the rest of the season. This is that game for JMU. They could lose out, and I'd be like, it really doesn't matter. They beat App State in an epic comeback. And it'd be almost feel a little bit better if even JMU then finishes the season like not good. And you're like, haha, App State. Um, maybe this rivalry is becoming a thing, but yeah. It was, it's just, it was insane comeback. 
Insane comeback. And yeah, kind of going off of that, before Santeo took 40 yards worth of sacks, which is what he did on the final drive, was, I think it was actually legitimately 40 full yards worth of sacks, which JMU has actually moved to a team loss yardage because they're absolutely going to throw out a Heisman campaign for this guy at some point. <laughs> so make sure the stats are good. But if you take those out, they had 415, I think it was, or yeah, I think it's 415 yards um, to 298 from app state like they were they were better they outgained them so they had you know an impressive game where i thought they were the better team <laughs> overall get your head out there as they were the better team overall and yeah i think it's fair to say that that jamie was up to the challenge and, and played well enough to win the game and i think was was probably the better team despite some some early turnovers they stopped app state running the ball which they've given up 84 rushing yards this entire season which is still insane me they're leading the country by a, a good margin in terms of only 28 rushing yards allowed per game and uh middle tennessee looks like they might actually be a real team so they have two wins that i think are decent yeah they beat a ranked miami team that's insane to me we okay. we beat them 44 to 7 and they looked absolutely abysmal they just went to miami and beat up on the hurricanes they looked explosive too <laughs> like they had like a 98 yard touchdown pass like they were making some big time plays and then they're I don't know if you listened to their coach's presser after the game. Oh, his quote after the game was the best. This was – what did he say? Like, this wasn't a fluke. I just want everyone to know that we went down here and we out them and, like, we are the better team. <laughs> he said it's not a fluke. It was a, a butt-kicking, I think he called it. He mentioned that they were 26-point dogs. Like, he knew the spread, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and then he was – yeah, he was talking about how they were tougher than them. And he goes, you know, just proud of the guys came down here and knocked those suckers off. <laughs> Good for him. I love that. That's that's fantastic. It was pretty funny. Um, what else? I mean, we could go into takeaways. We talked about tale of two halves, but I mean, I wrote some notes as I was watching the game. As, as yeah, like trying to put it, like no, oh, yeah. You if you read it, it's just like sad. It's you're going down. The things I liked aggression at the beginning in the first <laughs> quarter. I liked their aggression. Run defense was always good in the mm -hmm. game. Probably helped that Harrington was like the main back, which is RB3 after Peoples and um, Noel kind of got banged up. Well, did have a rushing touchdown, but didn't get a lot of run. And then not likes, pass defense, mistakes, in parentheses, common in big games, <laughs> not playing to the moment, didn't take advantage of turnovers, and this played flat anytime we are away like away from home in big yeah. games. And then, eh, offense has moments. Kalon is running back one. Latrell, this was written right after his fumble. Latrell ain't it. <laughs> Maybe as a prisoner at the moment. <laughs> I think a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but can we talk about Kalon Black real quick? Is he running back one? Did he take that? Did he Wally Pitt Percy? I think if Percy's healthy, he's probably running back one. The issue is, and I haven't really heard anything on his status, yeah, nothing about like this at stat. all this week. <laughs> I don't know if anyone asked. Maybe I just missed it. But he didn't play. He didn't suit up. There was no explanation. I have heard no explanation since. But Kalon Black, <laughs> I think Kalon Black makes more sense as like a top back over um, Palmer a little bit, just because I think he has more burst. I think Palmer is a change of pace who can be really physical, especially later in games. Kind of like they actually did use him in that that national championship a few years ago when it it didn't make a lot of sense, but. He was having like fourth quarter run down 14 and was getting a, a bunch of big plays. He's his like career stats are also sneaky. Good. 
Like Palmer's yeah. been very consistent. He averages like five yards a carry over like 300 carries. Yeah, he's so he's I, really solid. He can bust out a big gain here and there. He does have a little bit of a fumbling problem though. That's interesting. And then Black had one that he pretty close to fumble <laughs> that was <laughs> that was like overturned on that one touchdown drive to make it 28 10. Because that happened, I thought he for sure fumbled and was like, oh my god, they're gonna lose 70 to three. <laughs> but they uh, obviously came back. But uh, Black's like burst and speed is huge but then he's also not like he's not just a fast guy who like when he gets hit he just crumbles like he's kind of hard to bring down yeah and i broke it down in a little bit of a film breakdown over on our patreon kalon black's vision and patience is elite like elite level his ability to to wait see the first hole close and wait for a second hole to develop on his rush on his rushing touchdown there was one hole that he could have hit and then at the last second yeah. he cuts in to a secondary hole and just and that's how he scored if he went with that first hole it's a gain of 2 and i think they were on the 3 and they, you just don't get the touchdown instead he cuts it in and gets the touchdown there was another one um, on one of his first carries he busts it for like a 19 yard gain and same thing he he hits the hole and then he kind of runs parallel to the line of scrimmage without ever going backwards and then finds that secondary hole and hits it and goes. Kalon Black's vision, patience, ball-carrying ability, all of that um, are really, really fun to watch. I'm excited for him to step into a bigger role, maybe as this season goes on, but especially next season once Percy graduates. And hopefully Percy is healthy because, yeah, I haven't seen anything about what's wrong with with him at all. Also listening to the announcers trying to announce his last name and then the play-by-play guys just goes, call him Percy. I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the color commentary in that game. And there's going to be no drama in this one, folks. <laughs> Looks like it's a drama-free day. And then by the end, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> what is that? What is that to, to the Mountaineers. So that was, that was pretty enjoyable. I had a couple other offensive notes. Uh, early in the game, especially, they used the tight ends in the passing game, and it was successful. Yeah, Painter made some nice catches. Him and Horton getting involved, I think, is a positive. Uh, the secondary receivers, Reggie Brown and Terrence Green, were awesome. Chris Thornton, one catch for negative one yard, did catch the two-point conversion. But if you go back to and you you look at some of the film, Chris Thornton, there were a lot of spots where they were putting like two bodies on him and really trying to stop him. If you look, you mentioned Kalon Black's touchdown run, the play before that. So it was the Jalen Walker interception, then two Black runs. On the first run, they motioned Chris Thornton from, I think it was the slot, but he motions over and then sort of runs toward the sideline and it freezes like two players and lets black easily get six yards, which put him at like the four, I yeah. guess five yards and put him at the four. So like there were little things like that where Chris Thornton, what he did in the first two weeks, I think really distracted app state, but for, for Kalon black, for Reggie Brown, for Terrence green to all step up and have huge games when those are like, not necessarily the stars of the offense, I thought was, was really impressive, especially given the stage. Yeah, Chris Thornton's ability to impact the game while not getting any catches was was awesome. Because I think the reason Reggie Brown had, what, four catches for 81 yards with a long of 42 was because everyone was keyed in on Chris Thornton. And I think Reggie Brown could have been Terrence Green. It could have been Devin Ravenel. It could have been any of those guys. But it just so happened that Reggie Brown was the one that was getting the hot keys and was getting the looks on the RPOs and was able to kind of pad his numbers a little bit, but he had himself a fantastic game was really fun to watch, but Chris Thornton did have a a huge impact on that game, despite only having one catch. 
Yeah, he was awesome. I think the other thing you did that you mentioned that film breakdown, which was was awesome, by the way, on Patreon, uh, where you can check that one out, where you look through some things and you did a lot on sort of the, the play action pass sometimes to Reggie Brown. It's so hard to defend them. And like, I don't know if they're going to go 11 and 0 or like beat up on everyone. Right. But well, they're real quick. Yeah. As you go into this, Peter Mooney did just ask us a question on Twitter. And if you're watching right now on Twitter or YouTube, drop a drop a question in our replies and our Twitter replies or in the YouTube comments, whatever it is. And you just mentioned undefeated. He he asked us, putting the cart before the horse, does JMU go undefeated? I'm going to say no, but I, I will. Too, but I know where you're going with this. They're going to be tough to defend because like the rushing attack is good, even if Percy's hurt. They have a really strong offensive line. Santeo is mobile. Obviously, we'll see kind of how the shoulder hangs in there um, for an entire season. It sounds like he banged it up a little bit. I don't know exactly which one. Um, I would maybe guess not the right one, but who knows? Whatever it was, he gutted it out in the game, so you would think with some treatment, he'll, he'll probably be okay. Uh, but they can run it. Yeah. Santeo can run it. He can sling it. They have multiple receivers who are good. But you showed in the film breakdown, so many App State defenders like safeties and linebackers when they would run play action, we're flying to the line of scrimmage where it's leaving Reggie Brown one-on-one -on -one in a slant. And if you have him or Terrence green or Chris Thornton, any of those guys, even Devin Ravenel one-on-one most of the time in the Sun Belt, I think they're going to win those. And not only that, they then had, it was man coverage and they would yeah. pull their safety from the box. So from the top, they'd pull one of their safeties down into the box so then they have a stacked box with either seven or eight guys so you have a one high safety who typically was cheating to thornton's side yes. because they're playing man coverage which leaves like trying to put this in put trying to put this in frame this huge space just wide open so when brown would take that cut and it was also some great route running by reggie brown where he knew how long the rpo was going to take to develop where he was either going to take three steps and cut in or right away would cut in his 42 yard catch. He didn't even, he just went right off the line. His first step was in. Mm -hmm. So he knew exactly what to do. But the second that RPO or play action is happening, Centeno gives the ball to black and just that second or half a second of play action pulls in everyone that's in the box. So the three linebackers come in the edge guy, not sure what his responsibility is. If it was to, just crash in on the right. edge every single time, or if he was supposed to kind of leak out and cover that zone a bit. But every single time they would just take two to three steps in the safety who's coming, who came into the box would take two or three steps in. And then that's all the space you need. Reggie Brown, one-on-one -on -one with a quick slant, boom, every time. And that's how, that's how they're just dicing up that defense. And then if you're going to sell out to stop the pass, then Centeo is going to give it to Black or Centeo is going to keep it himself and run it. And it's just really a pick your poison. And Todd Centeo is the perfect quarterback to be playing this. Yeah, he's been awesome, right? And I think Signetti was like, hey, if you graded him out, he probably wasn't even at a 70 for that game. And he would admit that. So like, it wasn't a, even a great Centeo performance, but they ended up taking away his, his like huge losses. So he had 88 rushing yards and 209 through the air, two touchdowns. Like, he was still pretty solid, even though it wasn't like his best showing, but it, it kind of shows what he can do in the offense. And then even quickly defensively, I think the thing I really like about them is that the, the defense, like the defensive line is built. It seems like it's built to stop the run first. Yeah. I feel like, so like they're good at stopping the run. You got Jalen Walker up there. He, and I thought Mateo Jackson was really good alongside Walker when they were trying to stop the run and they had Jackson in there. <laughs> 
Um, Mateo Jackson's a fantastic run stopping linebacker. Yes. It's a shame that he doesn't have like the top end speed to be, you know, an every down backer, but when he's in there on obvious run situations, he's good. He's so good. And then Taurus Jones does a nice job in some of the coverage spots. It's just, it's a really good group, but I like that the, the defensive line is able to create pass rush pressure, but they still feel like they're like a run stop first unit. So like Edwards and Carpenter and, and Uku, those guys can get after the passer, but they're not just like straight speed guys. Like they're in there and creating some, some things that they can do uh, against the run. And I feel like that's where they're at their best. They can still pass rush. And they also dialed up blitzes like later in the game. So, so well, where it's like those guys are stopping the run. They're, you know, focusing the offensive line. And then what Surratt had a sack. Uh, I think Jalen Walker got close to coming home at least once or twice. Yeah, like they were, hit. No yeah, they were, they were really getting to it with some of the blitzes plus the defensive line. I think Chauncey Logan at corner was really good when they put him in man and looked right. like shockingly <laughs> confident in my opinion for a true freshman. No, he was making some plays where it was like one-on-one with him. He had the near interception. <laughs> the near interception was pretty incredible. You got to give him some credit for that. Legitimately. I thought he was fantastic and will get a lot of playing time. I think he's a guy that is athletic enough that he can lock a lot of people down. His stats are, are pretty darn impressive. So, yeah. And I think that pressure that you mentioned, the blitzes that they were dialing up were key in that Jalen Walker interception as well. I didn't really yeah. fully look at the film on that one, but I'd imagine Chase Bryce was getting a little happy feet because it was a quick hitter. Boom, boom. Walker may have shown blitz and then backed out of the last second. And that's how he was hit backpedaling right into the hands, but huge interception, a terrible mistake by Chase Bryce. Cause I don't think Jamie wins that game. If he doesn't throw that interception, um, I think they still clip them. They could. I mean, they very well they could. It could have. I mean, that defense was just playing lights out in the second half. The defensive backs were covering. I mean, isn't it fitting that the game-winning play was a Q read forced incompletion? Like such a good hit. <laughs> like it's we, me, and you have been ragging, or maybe more so me than you have been ragging on the secondary, saying they're not great. If this, if the front seven doesn't get home, they're going to get eaten alive back there. And then what do they do to win the game? They strap up App State's wide receivers and just lock them down and then have a forced incompletion. So, man, it was awesome. And the, the Jalen Walker play was really impressive because it wasn't that many yards between him and Bryce. Like Bryce was throwing a bullet and he got up and snagged. Like he was very fast. I think the announcer yeah. even was like, this JMU team won't quit. And it was like, oh, that's because the ball was intercepted. Like <laughs> he wasn't expecting it. And then it was like, wait a second, they're about to take the lead here. And they did. It just, it really started spiraling and, I think it's a clear case that there's momentum in football. Unfortunately, I may have to agree with you a little bit. <laughs> after after our case study of Sam Houston State and our case study of this game, I don't know if momentum is much of a thing as didn't we have an entire argument about momentum on this podcast? I think so. It's I guess you could argue that it's just like confidence, but I think yeah, I was gonna say it's confidence. Our, our friend Dom texted up in the second half and was like, oh, App State's folding. And I think that was kind of true. Like they kind of, once it started to really unravel, it was like, I don't, I don't think they're getting it back. Yeah. And App State fans were not happy. No, they're scared. pretty pissed. They were pissed. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were not as uh, like at the coaching staff and everything. It was, it was quite a, quite interesting to, to watch any other takeaways. Do you want to shout out your boy Chauncey Logan anymore? Or he did play really well. No, I, I know thought... he did. And I was, and I'm wrong. I'll go on record. I'm very wrong about Chauncey. Well, maybe not wrong. I just didn't have as much hope in him as you did. He's um, so athletic. 
that's what I just feel like he's got to be out there sometimes. Like he was forcing some incompletions and was feeling pretty, pretty confident out there. So I was excited with that. I thought everybody played pretty darn well. Jamari Edwards was unbelievably good. Yeah. It's yeah. Really good. So, um, they're just, they're good. Yeah. The, the, they're, <laughs> they're, they're good. They're good at football. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they finished this season with a lot of wins. Like I thought App State, that was the toughest game on the schedule. What's your what's your minimum for wins now? What's your like weird ballpark? Eight. Yeah, I think for me it's like seven or more. Like which if they at go the, four and four the rest of the way, that's seven. And here's the thing. They got Texas State next, and we'll talk about it. Is that a letdown spot? It could be. And we'll break that down in just one second. But then they go to Arkansas State at Georgia Southern. Both of those teams aren't good. I think Georgia those are Southern. tough. I think those are going to be tough. I don't. Because they just went into Boone and did that. I, I don't know. I Boone feel... is, no, Boone is a different animal. Boone... It is, but you're also like amped up for that game. I don't you're know right. how amped up you are for Arkansas State, but it's still a test. Jonesboro, Arkansas isn't necessarily the same atmosphere as Boone. I think they'll hype, it, hype themselves up. Marshall's going to be a tough game, but Marshall's also the same team that just lost to Bowling Green. They've dropped two in a row. Yeah. Then Louisville. Louisville's up and down. It depends on which Louisville you get. It depends Cunningham's on... scary, though. <laughs> Cunningham's scary, but Sutterfeld isn't. He hasn't been great as a coach. And he might not be the coach there. They might be in complete and utter turmoil by the time November 5th hits. Who knows what's happening in Louisville? Um, at ODU, that's going to be Bridgeforth East. That's a home game. Georgia State sucks. <laughs> that's, a, that's a home game. Georgia State sucks. Coastal Carolina, <laughs> overrated. I mean, where's another loss? Maybe Louisville. <laughs> Cunningham against, uh, I guess, would they just beat? Yeah, and they the, just, Cunningham they just beat against... South Florida. He had nine carries for 113 yards look, and three touchdowns. Look, look, it's going to be Cunningham against the favorite for Heisman. I mean, that that's what it's going to be. That's and I'm going to take my, I'm going to take the odds on, I'm going to bet on the Heisman favorite to win that game against Malik Cunningham. I think I guess we should get into Texas State then, unless you have anything else major from this very impressive win. Something else might come up in my head, yeah, um, and then we might just have to talk about it. But boom, is this what you want to talk about when it comes to Texas State? Kind of think it is a letdown spot. That doesn't mean they're going to lose. They're like three touchdown favorites basically, uh, but the weather seems like it stinks. Which it's family weekend, which is like notoriously a quieter sellout. Which I know I'm being a little harsh there, but typically the families aren't as loud as like if people are coming from out of town who really like are coming just for the football to watch the game. Sometimes it's families who don't care about football that are showing up because it's what you do on family weekend, but plus like leftover hurricane rain. I think it could be like not quite yeah. the same atmosphere. The The positive thing is that Texas state sucks. Like they're really bad. Yeah. Texas state is really, really bad. They just played against Houston Christian. They just changed their name from Baptist to Christian. What's the point of that? I think it was a university thing, but it also impacted the football team midseason, which just was funny. Because <laughs> they started in Houston Baptist, right? Like, this is a new change. Oh, yeah, they were Houston Baptist, like, in week one. Um, They only put 34 up on them. <laughs> That's not good. I just don't think they have a very good team. So... I guess right now, I guess this is the spot where we'll break down who Texas State is really quick um, before we dive further into if this is a letdown spot for him. So, it's time for the three notch preview. 
as always, we'll break it down. And to get all your libation needs, head on over to Three Notched, the Valley Collab House in Harrisonburg. There's a place in Richmond, Roanoke, Charlottesville, and I believe Virginia Beach. So check that all out and a quick breakdown of the Texas State Bobcats. They're 2-2 two and two this season. This is their first Sun Belt game, led by Jake Spavadol. He's 11 and 29, 28 in his career. Uh, 2021, they were four and eight, not great against the spread. Though, if you're into betting, they were seven and five, so a winning record against the spread. This year, their win over under was set at just four and a half, and they're halfway there, man. They're halfway there. This two and two record is the best start since 2016 for Texas State, which is sad. They're not a good program. Uh, their EPA is minus 1.44, um, which is 71st in the nation, minus 4.4 in offense, minus 2.1 in seventh in defense. And they have the seventh most returning offensive production in the nation, yet they're one of the worst offenses in the nation at the same time. SP plus they're minus 19.8 and that is good for 124th in the nation of 131 teams point per drive. Their net point per drive is negative 0.95 offensive points per drive. They only score 1.4 and they allow 2.3 points per defensive drive. They're not great. Like at all. There's nothing redeeming about this team. <laughs> Probably fair. They have a couple individual guys that I think are are fairly interesting. The quarterback I don't think is terrible. Uh, and Lane Hatcher, he's got 10 touchdowns to four interceptions, averaging 266 yards a game. And then the one receiver, uh, Ashton Hawkins, has yeah. actually been really good. 34 yeah. catches, 308 yards, five touchdowns in four games. He had 13 catches for a buck 14 and a touchdown against Baylor. Yeah. So he, like, there's at least a guy that there's like, oh, okay, they have a go-to receiver who could – could stretch the defense. I mean, he's had a touchdown catch in every game so far. So that'll be interesting to see how they try to stop him, but they're, they're not great. I think Spavadol probably is close to the hot seat. I would think like, I think at some point with the Sun Belt getting a lot of traction, they would want to win some games. So uh, it's a program that's kind of down on its luck and, and needs some things to go right. But I don't know if they show up, they at least have a couple guys that could, if JMU is, is flat, can make it interesting. Yeah. Awesome. So, is this a letdown spot for Jamie? I think so. I think so. It doesn't mean they're going to lose, but I think it's, it's definitely not a great spot. I think because the weather doesn't help in terms of like the atmosphere. Um, I don't know. It doesn't, I'm not blaming anyone who like doesn't go in the rain, but it's yeah. just probably not going to be quite like what they're, if it was 75 and sunny, I think there'd be more people in the stands, even though it's a sellout. Right. I don't think that's necessarily debatable. So yeah. Interested to see how they respond to it. I know Signetti's got them locked in on like, hey, don't want this be a letdown spot. Don't want this be a letdown spot. Like, you got to show up and play well. Yeah. Do they have the mousetraps set out? I don't know if they've set out mousetraps, but that's the same thing, right? Like, App State was doing that and they kind of had a letdown against Troy, I would say. Big time. Yeah. They needed a winner to win. So it's, there's some pressure on this game for sure. Um, but they are better than them. Like, I think it's of all the teams on their Sunbelt schedule, if I could put anyone in the game after App State at home, <laughs> it would probably be Texas State. Yeah, for sure. Texas State, not a great team, but maybe it's a letdown spot, but JMU's been nearly unbeatable at home. I think it might be a letdown spot, but Texas State's offense is like so bad that they might not even crack double digits against this JMU defense. 
that I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dukes managed to cover the 22 point spread in this one just by putting up like 35. ESPN does like a little efficiency ranking. Yeah. For every team. Offensively, they have Texas State 119th out of 131 teams, which is the worst mark in the Sun Belt. They also have them as one of the worst special teams, or 125th out of 131. A little better on defense, but it it's not a very good team. Yeah, overall, I think I think CBS Sports has them ranked as the top twenty-five or one of the top twenty-five yeah. worst teams alongside Georgia State. Not a good look for the Sun Belt. Um, but this isn't this isn't another app state. They're not playing like a Louisiana. They're not playing the Raging Cajuns. They're not playing one of the mid-tier Sun Belt teams. Like this is a bottom feeder Sun Belt team. So yeah, it could be a letdown spot. The JMU players could be listening to this podcast. They could be reading in the media. They could be looking at the film themselves and just say, damn, this team stinks. But I, I hope I'd like to think that it's not because I'm trying to think of another letdown spot in this J in the Signetti era that actually became a letdown. And I, I can't think of one. They've been really, really good. It's just, I guess there's a higher, I don't know if this is that much higher of a level though. Like are they, is, is Texas state drastically better than like Villanova? I don't think so. Probably not. Man, yeah. So, yeah. There, yeah I don't think there's there, there's not much for me to break down with this Texas State game. Like, oh, here's a question for you: Do you do you care about the Ever Withers storyline? Kind of. I think it's kind of fun, but I mean, he's not there anymore. He left the program in worse shape than he found it, and then he failed upwards to be like the defensive backs coach at the New York Football Giants. Mm-hmm. So. It's kind of funny that it's like the Ever Withers Bowl, but it just—I mean, he left Jay. He, as much as we hate Ever Withers, he's a key reason we are here. So, like, he I find help, it, yeah. like he was a not a great person. Like when it came to like handling the media and just like being weird and having to watch the film and all of that. But like, he was a key piece in getting Vad Lee to JMU. He was a key piece in setting up the success. Um, he just couldn't coach defense like an, <laughs> an entire 33% of the game. If not more, he just like forgot how to coach when he was like a defensive specialist. So while we all hate Everett Withers to a point, I think, I think we're an X that are still upset at our X, but we're in a better place than we were with the X, you know? I think that was described beautifully. Yeah. It's one that like I don't I don't really care. I have no like ill will toward him because even as as much as like he was kind of abrasive and stuff. Um, I gotta watch the film to to confirm that one. Just some some weird stuff with the media and was just kind of cranky sometimes and obviously was very quick to like leave, was looking kind of for every opportunity to to not coach an FCS team. Yeah, he did like and even the uniform stuff, like as dumb as that sounds, like him you know, championing like different uniforms was like kind of cool. And I think maybe helped in recruiting and gives them like all these yeah. different looks that people can, can look like there's some positive things that he did. So I don't care. And it's also, again, like if they played Mike Houston and ECU, that would be yeah. electric to me. That yeah, like, that... if he was there, him not being there and having a horrible tenure. And now I don't know what he does currently. Actually, I, I think he, he won was... like two games with Texas state. I think he was South left... Florida or something now. But no, it's Temple. It's Temple. That's what it was. But not a head Temple. coach, right? Not head coach. He's the uh, associate head coach at Temple. So, like, I mean, he hasn't really like stuck since he he left JMU. He, he went didn't even two stick and 10, at JMU. Really. 
three and eight from right. He was, <laughs> wasn't in GMU for very long. So I don't really have any hard feeling. Like I don't, I don't want to beat Texas state more because he was there. Like it just doesn't mean anything. to me. I did see Jordan Brown tweet something. Mm-hmm. Let me try and pull it up. So I, I know exactly what he said. Jordan Brown has a weird name on Twitter. It's not Jordan Brown. <laughs> oh, what is it? The other storyline that I'll, I'll stall and say is interesting, though. Uh, Harry O'Kelly's younger brother is the punter for Texas State, which I thought was fun. And Harry talked to the DNR and Noah, and he had a quote in an article that I thought was pretty funny, where it was like, you know, if he punts a lot, I get to see him punt a lot, and it would also be good for JMU. So that's sort of the best of both worlds. <laughs> He's away with away with words. So he can he can root for his brother to punt twelve times and, and Jamie will win by fifty. So it's actually an interesting spot for him. He doesn't have to root for Texas State to win. Sounds awesome. I can't I don't know what his at name is on Twitter. I don't know either. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. This is this is what we all tune into the Jamie Sports News podcast for. Yeah, especially live. All right, whatever. I'll figure it out and tweet it. But it was just something like Kind of throwing shade at Everett Withers, which I thought was quite interesting. So I think for some of the old players who played under Withers and kind of were burned by him, both yeah, in his coaching there. abilities and his <laughs> just reasoning to leave. So sorry, I keep, he was he's really bad at like coaching defense. It was pretty impressive that like a very like the same players that were giving up like fifty to Colgate the next season were able to follow <laughs> it up with a national championship, <laughs> like the best defense. Like what are you doing? You see, like yeah. Huh. But yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting on those fronts. I do think the Arkansas State and Georgia Southern games after that are and we'll get into them more, obviously. I think those are little trap games. No. I, I think those are tough. Arkansas State's not that bad. I don't think Georgia Southern's that bad. Okay. And they're on the road. Updated look at the schedule with this app state game with the win, we have to break it down. What do we think the final records are going to be? I feel like this should become a segment every yeah. week where we break it down. Give me your updated prediction on how this season ends. I think they're going to go eight and three. Okay. Where are their losses coming? <laughs> they're going to win. They're going to win 10 games, aren't they? <laughs> That's what's so hard about it. I'll say, I'll say they lose to Louisville. Okay. Even I, I don't know. That's guaranteed. I kind of think Georgia Southern clips them. Why? That's just a feeling. <laughs> have, in my, okay. Wh- why? The Okay. Because I don't think they're that bad. They throw it a ton and have pretty good skill guys, which I think is probably the best recipe to beat JMU. It's on the road. It's before Marshall, where I think there could be a legitimate like game day buzz by that point where it's like, hey, you beat Georgia Southern, you might be hosting game day, which that's a whole other story. Some people don't like game day, I learned. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am i uh i think they could lose that one like i think it's like kind of a trap game on the road against a team that's getting better so i could see them getting tripped up there and then you lose to louisville and then like at odu is hard and i think coastal is still hard because depending on mccall's health they've got some pretty good players okay realistically though that's probably not gonna, i think they could win nine or ten games actually that's probably more realistic i think they win 10 games they're so good man i think they go they're gonna win out what play. if they win out I think they go undefeated in Sunbelt play and lose to Louisville. That would be, that would be insane. This I one's fully, a good this one's a big one here. Just just get to 4-0, oh, 
take care of business against the crappy Texas State to really affirm, like, to show me for sure. Like, all if right. they win this game, if they cover the spread in this game, which is about 22 oh. points, I'll be really interested to see what it closes at. But if they can cover the spread against this game, against Texas State, I'm yeah. fully bought in. I'm 99% bought in, but this would just push me completely in. And I'd, I'll be on Twitter petitioning for the college football committee to let us in. Yeah, I think I'll, if they do go undefeated, it would be Jamie Twitter would be incredible. So that's worth seeing just because there would be people going crazy. I also like that, like at the beginning of the season, I was tweeting from my personal account that Jamie was the best team in Virginia, which was only like a quarter of a joke. People <laughs> people thought I was like really kidding. It was like, no, like have you watched? You <laughs> now you like, look you, and there's according to all advanced metrics, JMU's the best team in Virginia. Well, and like other fan bases are like, yeah, it's. Yeah, there's not even an argument here. Like they're better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. And then I saw someone else games. tweet. Someone else tweeted, um, Jamie's the best team in the DMV. And someone responded, I think you forgot Maryland existed. And they responded, No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so like validating as a fan. That's part of why this win was so great. Was because yes. how many years did you have to listen to UVA fans when you'd be like or Virginia Tech or fans. Tech, like, fan, tech fans were yeah. the worst. We have a national champ. We have two national championships. Well, you're playing JV. Well, you have no appearances. Like interacting. Appear- <laughs> you don't have a single trophy. So miss me with that. Interacting with like, yeah, with like UVA fans and tech fans. They'd be like, like, oh, nice win over Delaware. Like you wouldn't hang with us. It's like, no, like you guys you stink. Would. You don't understand. <laughs> and now they've played a chance. Now they played three games at the FPS level and they're like, oh. <laughs> we, get, we get it now. It's like, yeah, like they have very good players. And this is a team that doesn't even have Antoine Wells, Diamante Tucker, Dorsey, Wesley McCormick. Here's a question right? for you. You want to play the what if game? Yeah. Does Tucker Dorsey make that interception? <laughs> Completely nonsensical <laughs> question. <laughs> I have no idea. That was the best what if. I thought you were going to say like, what would the score have been if they had all three <laughs> Tucker Dorsey? Make here's a question for you: Does Antoine Wells catch the deep ball that Terrence Green caught for a touchdown? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Probably. he's pretty good. Yeah. I'll take Chauncey Logan over uh, any corner any other day, though. I mean, Chauncey Logan will soon be playing wide receiver in his high. I, I actually up. that's actually a take I do want to share here. Kurt Signetti, if you're listening, and we know you are, there's no reason. Maybe you, you sort of experiment with this later in the season, but really do it next year. Tonsky Logan should play wide receiver and cornerback. Uh, he'd win Heisman pretty easily. He doesn't Howard type thing. We, uh, Thomas at Dukey95, had a little chime in about Everett Withers, and I think this is a good point. Uh-huh. No ill will to him. Just still can't believe he thought that was a job upgrade. That's why I want this game. That makes sense. Okay. I okay. I like that. Here. I like that. Yeah, that was pretty like, dumb. Even in the moment that felt really dumb where he was just yeah. like, I got to get FBS. It's like, ah, yes. Anytime you can be like the 13th best team in Texas. And also I love when they, the Sun Belt wasn't good then. Like the Sun Belts had this resurgence like recent in like the last three years, three to four years, really since COVID when COVID hit and like app and coastal were like ranked and we're going crazy. And then coastal plays BY. Yeah. That I think COVID put Sun Belt on the map. And then, when Withers left, it was just a clear step down. Like you're building this FCS power that's going to compete with North. Well, maybe if he stays, that's not going to happen because he can't play defense. He can't coach defense. So 
JMU probably would have continued to lose to Colgate in the second round after getting a bye. But yeah, that was just not a, that wasn't a step. I like that point. That's that's yeah. a good point. And then of course JMU upgraded to a coach who would never have lost to Colgate in the second round. So, oh god. <laughs> 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 but anyway, um, no, it's it's kind of interesting to see. It's actually kind of fascinating to see because <laughs> JMU's culture is so good. And this is a real point that I have that I think it's really not easy for a coach to be successful, but <laughs> but you're able to have a certain level of success that can be hard to replicate if you go somewhere else. Like Mike Houston has done a pretty good job at ECU, but they just lost to Navy in overtime when they're two and two. And they got some cranky little fans now. And it's like, it's hard to to match those levels of success. I feel like, I don't know, it's hard to to do that, which I also think is kind of interesting because Signetti, I guess, is, I thought he was older, but he's only 61. Ugh. I don't mean that offensively, just for some reason, I thought he was older. Um, but he's he's 61, so it's kind of interesting. Like, he's obviously a very good coach. Does a power five or, or someone try to make a play at him? And, and would he be interested or would he want to stay at JMU for, you know, a decade or so and see if he can make him a monster? Just interesting. Yeah, will be really interesting. <laughs> but yeah, Colgate losses, man. Gosh. That shouldn't have been as funny as it was, but here we are. Okay, anything else you want to add on App State? Um, I do want to touch real quick. The third downs were just terrible. Oh, yeah. What was the that? final stat on that? Like 2 of 12, 2 of 14. Two, 2 of 14 and then 3 for 6, which was really 3 of 5 on fourth downs. Fourth down aggression. I forgot to mention that put that in the newsletter if he rolls the dice for signetti i think that's a great sign is he rolling the dice? and i don't mean this in a rude way yeah camden wise is one for three on field goals this year <laughs> i don't think does, he's best. does he if it's ratke does he roll the dice as much because you have a certified three points right. in your back pocket with wise like it's a really small sample size. He could make the rest of his field goals the rest of the year and, and be fantastic. But right now it's not necessarily a 100% given like it was with Racky. So maybe when it's a 32 yarder, that's on the hash that he, that wise doesn't prefer maybe in it's fourth and two, you're like, all right, let's go for it. Where with Racky, you're like, I know he's making this. So send out the team. We're getting three points. Honestly, I hope someone asked him that question. Cause I think it's a really good question. Because it's if Wise makes the twenty-seven yarder earlier, are they not going for it later in the game? I have no idea. Um, but yeah, also tough on Wise, right? Because it's such a small sample size. That we such truly, a small we truly have no idea. He's only kicked three field goals. One of them was blocked. And so, like in all honesty, he could make the he could finish the year like eighteen of twenty, and no one's gonna bat an eye. Also, it was like a, a twenty-seven yarder on a half that just stayed straight. Which yeah. again, like you want to make that kick, but it wasn't like. He was in the middle and he almost like whiffed the ball or something. And like he didn't really like alarming. extreme hook it to the left. He just, it didn't break. It like, wasn't like he was missing an extra point or something where it's like in the middle and you have nowhere to yeah. go and the ball like sprays <laughs> off your foot. So there's, there's that going for him. So interesting to see how he's he perfect does. on extra points. This is true. I just hope they, they keep the aggression because like three of the drives they scored, I think of the opening field goal and then two touchdowns later in the game had fourth down conversions on the drive. There's the one where they were down 28, 10, it was like a fourth and five and they didn't necessarily need to go for it. Cause you could have cut it to two possessions, but they ended up going for it and scoring a touchdown and just sort of continuing to, to chip away. I like when they go for it because I think the offense, if you give them four plays to go 10 yards, that seems like it puts way more pressure on a defense. And shouldn't that be what you're doing? Like there were so many times in the past where I'm sure if you pulled like the opposing fan base 
and it's fourth and one from the Delaware 20 Delaware fans and be like, you know what, please send out Racky because it kind of keeps us in the game instead of just pounding someone and getting a first down. So I hope they're aggressive. Well, the average fan thinks that you're gonna you're gonna kick the field goal when you're up four. Who said that? The announcer. The announcer kept <laughs> late in the game when they were up four and like they need, if they get the fourth down, they ice the game. Oh, he assumed they would kick that for sure. Well, he well, no, he goes, well, you know, the average fan would want you to kick the field goal here. But, you know, in today's football, you got to go for if you go for it here, you win the game. And he was trying to, like, act really smart about analytics. And in my and I was I don't know if I was texting you or who I was texting. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think an average fan is thinking kick the field goal to make this one possession game a one possession game. I think everyone was pretty excited or at least maybe I'm speaking. Everyone was. Everyone was hoping they would go for it, and when they went for it, we're like, that's the right call. Yeah, if you get it, the game's over, and they didn't get it, but then they had to go, what, 90 yards and still had to score a touchdown, and they didn't do it? So, like, I think that made a ton of sense, and that's the kind of aggression that, like, look, like, we think we can get a yard. They didn't do it, but that's the kind of thing that I hope they maintain throughout the Sun Belt season. Yep. All right. It's time for the award-winning segment of this podcast <laughs> everyone waits for every single week it's time for the sun belt pick them last week i had a solid six and three record while bennett had an abysmal five and four record what's <laughs> what's the season record uh we for we we're not entirely sure we do have to scrub back from last episode yeah. and uh, figure that out but I mean, moral of the story is I'm better than Bennett in this one-week sample that we're using. We have a fantastic slate of Sunbelt action for this week. We're starting to gear up uh, a little bit more Sunbelt action. A few terrible games like App State hosting the Citadel and uh, Georgia State going down to or going up to Mitchie Stadium in West Point to take on Army. But other than that, we have a few great games on the docket for us so let's start things off noon cbs sports network army loves these noon games georgia state army who do you got georgia state army yeah so i uh i actually recommended that people on multiple places including text take them to beat coastal carolina watch that game <laughs> they're horrible like i i'm i wouldn't ever recommend putting your money on them ever again um one of my friends except like, we're for this for week. A full day because they suck so much. I'm taking Army here. Georgia State. You. They're horrible. <laughs> you. And, I, was, I was wrong. You and service academies, though, don't combine well. Remember the 2020 yeah. COVID season? Navy, man. Take Navy over BYU all day. Navy lost by 40. I, ha- I think it might have been more. I have a horrible track record of actually when I bet on service academies. It's pretty bad. I'm going Army, too, though. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites, and I think that's about right, as Georgia State is one of the worst teams in the nation. The Citadel, they go down to App State, back in Kid Brewer Stadium in Boone. It's a 3.30 kick on ESPN+. Plus. Who do you got? I like App State in this one. Bounce back spot. Their schedule, the next four games, is super easy. They should be 6-2. and two. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm with you, App State. If they have struggle with the Citadel, if the Citadel can run all over them and this defense is actually that bad, they're going to have some big issues, but should dominate this game from start to finish. Gardner-Webb, they travel down to Huntington, West Virginia. 3.30 kick with Marshall. Who do you got? Marshall, a little disappointing after that Notre Dame win, losing two games in a row, but I think they they get to 3-2 and here. Then they play Louisiana on a Wednesday night. 
the week after, which is when we really get the fun belt action on a Wednesday. But yep. I think I think they win both those four and two. They go to Harrisonburg on the twenty second for college game day. Okay. I like how you're all the way on the game day train when two weeks ago you were like, there's no way in hell that Jamie is getting game day at all this season. Now, look, man, if they both win out and get there, game day has to come. They just have to come. Um, and apparently you ruffled some feathers with your game day take. People hate game day. People hate game day, apparently. Um, I'm also with the Marshall Thundering Herd in that game. Gardner-Webb is a really solid FCS school. They've looked really good against Coastal and against a few other FBS teams. It's going to be a tough L here against Marshall. Georgia Southern against Coastal. This game's in Conway, in Myrtle Beach. Let's just call it Myrtle Beach. Uh, Georgia Southern's quarterback has thrown for over 1,200 yards this season, eight touchdowns. I mean, can they go to Conway and take down Coastal Carolina, who've looked slightly underwhelming this season, but are 4-0? I wonder exactly how travel will work. It seems like during the day Saturday it'll be okay. Myrtle Beach is gonna get um, gonna get hit pretty good on Friday with weather, so I don't know exactly what the the travel plans are. They might be that might push them up, and they might be getting in tomorrow. Tomorrow or something, yeah. Interesting stuff there to, to inside baseball. Uh, Georgia <laughs> Southern's gonna win this game. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Coastal. As much as Georgia State stuck sucks, Coastal is still very much a fraud. If Coastal wins this game. I, there's no way that we go down to Georgia Southern and lose. I think Coastal wins. A weird travel schedule for Georgia Southern throws them off. Coastal's playing at home. They want to play for their families who are just impacted by Hurricane Ian. Come on. The storylines <laughs> write themselves. <laughs> South Alabama. They play the Raging Cajuns uh, down there in Lafayette. Lafayette? Lafayette? Yeah. Did I say that the same way three different times? I think so. South Alabama, who do you got? Louisiana stinks. They're two I mean, and they, two, zero oh and one in Sunbelt. They lost to Louisiana Monroe last week. They did. They stink. So I can't pick them. I'll take South Alabama, which is, I would say, behind Southern Miss. No, they're, okay, they're your probably tweet, one of the best. Your tweet was wrong. I'm on. You said that I'm a fan of Southern Miss. No, 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 no. I'm a fan. They of beat South Tulane, Alabama. which is a transit property win over Kansas State, which is a transit property win over Oklahoma. Southern Miss took down Oklahoma. JMU took down Miami and Texas A&M on the same Saturday. Yeah, I don't think if yeah, they're not beating JMU, they're in the West. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm just saying I think if we're talking transitive property wins. That's a more You think JMU is going to win the East? I mean, they, they have go, the leg up now. They have think, a you, huge you said leg up. Undefeated in Sunbelt play, so I, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they have to win. Yeah, they're good. So that's in the East. So their transit property wins are equal to Southern Miss. So therefore, you think Southern Miss will win the West? No. So, so I'm taking South Alabama as well. Liberty goes to ODU in Norfolk. I mean, this is an easy pick. Who do you got? Liberty's think, only a three and a half point favorite. I think Liberty's quarterback might be banged up, but I, I don't know this for sure. But he's really good when he's not hurt. So. So who's your pick? I'm going to take ODU. <laughs> I'm going to go Liberty because ODU's offense makes me sad. Scored 29 against Arkansas State. Cool. I could score 29 against Arkansas State's defense. UL Monroe takes on Arkansas State. Who do you got? Arkansas State's going to bounce back here and win this one. They're going to be highly confident going into the JMU game, which is a trap game. I'm going to go Monroe here because maybe they're not as fraudulent as we thought. Maybe they're not as bad as we thought. Maybe. 
They are two and two. Arkansas State's just one and three. Uh, and then wrapping things up before our JMU pick, Troy, Western Kentucky. Who do you have? Western start. Kentucky, by the way, mm-hmm. I don't know where they're finding quarterbacks. It's insane. They Bailey Zappi last year. They have a D2 transfer who starts for him this year. But they brought in the West Virginia transfer, who's the active yard, passing yards leader. And this D2 transfer beat him out. Yeah. He's not tearing it up. He is tearing it up. I'm going to say Troy. That's a wrong pick. It's Western Kentucky. Who's Western? They have somebody that I know. They had Bailey Zappi last year. I think a coach. There's some coach that has some connection to somewhere, and I, I'll look it up. It's probably super irrelevant. All right, and last but not least, as Bennett looks this one up, it's 1.30 p.m. kick on ESPN+. Plus. Bridgeforth Stadium at Zane Shoker Field. Kickoff temperature will be about 59 degrees. Texas State comes into JMU on a wet and rainy day as Hurricane Ian makes its way through the Shenandoah Valley. It's family weekend but there might be less people in that stadium than 25,000. It is a sold-out crowd, but that rain might keep people away. Texas State, JMU, who do you got? I'm taking JMU to win 35-17, to and I believe what it is for the connection, since a lot of you want to know, I think he's the head coach at Western Kentucky, is Clay Helton's younger brother. I'm so glad you told me that. I was on the edge of my seat, and man, am I glad I know that piece of information. It was as irrelevant as I had worried. But 35-17, Jamie wins. There's a lot of rain coming down, but some people are there. I've already got confirmation from at least one person that they're going, and I know that this game is going to be electric. So I think Jamie wins this game in an absolute slop fest. I think they win this one 28 to three. I don't think that Texas state can really do much. And if they're forced to having to run it, they're going to have a bad time. Jamie's only allowed 84 rush yards on the entire season. So if the Dukes can force this into a one dimensional game, both because of their play and because of the weather, don't think Texas state's going to move the ball all that much. I think JMU will move the ball, but will struggle. They'll put up t- four touchdowns, um, thanks in part to Kalon Black, Latrell Palmer. Hopefully Percy's back. We'll try and track that down. Not sure what's happened, but keep it locked on our Twitter if we figure that out. Um, so I think JMU wins. They cover. They're 22-point favorites as of right now. The over-under is set for 50. I think hammer the under. Really? They've also had some weird weather kind of in the past wasn't one family weekend against like stony brook all messed up for some reason i feel like that had season happened. opener against robert morris and yeah remember the robert morris got they played moved. on like a thursday yeah because of florence and um jimmy moreland had a pick six so maybe it's i don't know maybe chauncey logan a little blast from the past there reminds us all of uh of jimmy just bigger love it all right anything else you gotta add field hockey ranked 18th in the country uh, volleyball's rolling. Women's golf got confirmed from a source that they had a really good showing at a recent tournament. Um, men's soccer, they're kind of hanging in there. So, Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in for to the JMU Sports News Podcast. My name is Jack Fitzpatrick. That's Bennett Conlon. We had ourselves a fantastic time tonight. We'll be back next week breaking down the Texas State game and giving a little bit of a preview to the Arkansas State game. 
It's been a fantastic Wednesday. See you guys next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.